0: Are you ready to live a better life? Do you want to have fulfilling relationships with your partner, children, boss, colleagues? Do you want to learn how to overcome obstacles and challenges that are an inevitable part of our everyday life interactions? You have tuned in to the right podcast. Doris Horenstein, author of Moments of the Heart, is ready to do just that. Sit back. Listen and enjoy the learning as Doris shares her stories, Jewish wisdom, and a bit of the Hebrew language and makes this world her classroom.
1: Hello everybody, welcome to Moments of the Heart Podcast. This is a continuation of the Heart to Heart series, where I interview friends from the African-American community or are connected in some way to the conversations that, as right now is really a hot topic in our nation. My guest is Lisa Achilles and she is, first of all, I want to tell you, I met Lisa over just about maybe a year ago in my Toastmasters club. She is on my executive team. I've spoken how I am the president of the team of the club and she is my VP for membership and I just love her. But besides that, that I love her, I want to tell you she's an experienced, purpose-driven mental health counselor and a life coach. She is inflamed by her desire to help others reach their full potential. She takes pride in providing empathetic listening, creative support and research-driven tools in helping individuals climb the summit to their goals. I mean, she's amazing. I want to tell you that one of her hobbies was actually doing the triathlon with her husband. That they did as a celebration of their 30 years anniversary. She's been married to her husband, Steve, for 34 years. They just celebrated their anniversary and Steve is a Caucasian guy. So in this podcast, Uh, which I put live on Facebook, but I did not record the whole conversation. So you're coming in in a little bit um, middle way. But nonetheless, you can always pick up the full uh, interview on my Facebook. So go to Doris Hornstein and search for me, and it is right there. But she talked at the beginning. What what was not recorded was her triathlon experience when she actually... um, did it for when they were married 30 years. And her husband said, why don't we do this together? And at that time when he proposed it, she did not even know how to swim. So can you imagine this amazing lady doing this, learning 18 months, learning how to swim, the bike riding, and then the running, the marathon running. And so she is indeed an iron woman. She has so much beautiful experiences in life that she's sharing with and also some hard and tough decisions that she had to make. She met her husband on the third day of her freshman year in college and as she says it in uh, in the live Facebook she didn't think she was going to marry a white man because after all he was white and that was not something that was done. So I invite you to join in into the conversation. And I hope you will find inspiration and things and actions that you can take to make this world a better place. Enjoy this session with Lisa.
0: So I had a, I'd never wanted to be married and didn't want to have children um, until I graduated from college, was out for a couple of years, and started thinking maybe, maybe I'm not thinking that through well, um, and, and I decided I was Gonna start dating, perhaps. I don't know anything about dating. I'd never done it before, but I thought it would be, you know, if I could at least possibly date S- Steve, my friend, um, and see how that went. I would like to start there, and so I, I contacted him and said, you know, I was just curious. I'm, I'm starting to think about my future and family, and I wondered if it would ever be possible for us to have more than a friendship. And he said, no. I'm like, oh, okay. I just, you know, thought I'd toss it out there. I knew this wasn't going to be a person who was always going to be a friend to me, always. So I thought, ah, okay, if it doesn't work on that, that's fair, that's fine. But we'll always have this friendship. What he didn't say was that he was paying off the ring, um, that he'd already talked to my father, that there'd always already been this big discussion around what this would look like, and I was literally the last person to know. And when he drove up to Boston a couple of weeks later and proposed, I was just like, oh, we already have this conversation. I don't want to go down this path again. he's like, no, 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 now I have the ring. (laughs) And he he sticks this ring out there for me. And and, and before I could grab it, he said, hey, listen, um, this is going to be really hard because it's interracial. And so I need you to think about that. And if the word divorce is in your vocabulary, then don't even take the ring. And I just, you know, there have been times in our marriage that we've looked back on it and like, okay, this is the hard part. This is what we signed up for. We're gonna get through this. Never have I seen such wisdom in someone so young as to say that. If we had known how hard it would have been, and not just because marriage is hard for two people, but how hard it was outside of our front door I, I seriously wonder sometimes if we would have had the courage to do it at age twenty-three when we got married.
1: Wow. Wow. So you got married at the age of twenty-three to you your did. to your friend in college. that all the time four years of college. no, you met him on the on the junior year you said? Third day freshman year. Fresh third day freshman year. I I said third year. Yeah. Third day freshman year. Oh my gosh. Four years of friendship and then apart, and then you say Okay, maybe we should date. Amazing. How did both families perceive the others? Can you can you share with us a little bit of that? Because I bet you it was not easy. I don't know. Just my gut feeling tells me this. Tell me.
0: I have the perspective of time now, and I can look back at this and can see it through the eyes of a mother myself. It was hard on both sides of our family. And I now understand that to be because it's like. Both sets of parents are worried about what is this going to mean for our kids? How are they going to be treated? How is the world going to treat them? And I think since both sides of the family had very different um, experiences in the world, um, they knew it was going to be hard. On the one hand, I remember my father sitting me down and saying, Lisa, someday you're going to see a world in which you are judged by your character rather than your skin color. And he, he started describing these things. He, he kept saying, I remember him saying, at one point you're gonna see someone with, with brown or black skin in the White House. And I was like, oh, that's never gonna happen. <laughs> and he's like, I'm probably not gonna live to see that, but I think you will. Unfortunately, he was right. He didn't get to live to see that but some of the things that he did get to see during the course of our marriage like my father going from the man who was often a yard man for white families my mother who was a maid for white families then come to see their daughter become the peer of someone that they would have worked for one day it was a very you know that they could have worked for they didn't work for my my in-laws but it was a very different it, it, it was, it was hard on a whole different level for both sides of our families. Yeah,
1: your, did your parents ever feel like less than, you know, in family gathering with the white group? Did they feel like not as honored or respected or, you know, up in their own minds, you know, sometimes it is in our, sometimes we put things in our own mind. We think, okay, we are less than that person. That person is, you know, makes more money, has a better house, has a better job, you know, so, so sometimes we sabotage ourselves, but did they feel that in a, in their interaction
0: with your white side of the family? I think that, I think that in their heads, they thought that they would be viewed that way and that they would not be accepted because of that. Yeah. And, and in my mother and father-in-law's defense, I will say they, I think, and again, I'm probably putting some words into their mouth, that they would, they would not be understood for the fear and concern they had for their kid, mm-hmm. um, which they did, yeah. as did my parents. Yeah. Yeah, wow what i think is understand. interesting is yeah? the intersection that came from when, when we had our son and all of a sudden they had this grandson and like a lot of that went off the table because you know look at this because kid he's our grandchild adorable beautiful
1: you know beautiful brown color so tell us tell us about tell me the audience the listeners about raising a child who is and you showed me pictures who does not look black necessarily unless he's in the sun and gets suntan, but on a, a regular winter day when there's not sun around for a few months, he is actually pretty light skin. He's lighter than me. Would you say that? He's lighter, than, lighter than me. So, so how was that raising him? Like, you know, you would go to stores and will they people think that,
0: are you connected to this kid? You know, so tell us, share with us. Yeah, I I often find it interesting that when my son is with his dad, people often think they can understand, okay, this is your father. And when he's with me, they can understand this is your mother, but put the three of us together and we're asked, did you adopt him? How'd you get this child? How did, you know, just, it's very interesting to see the reaction we get from other people. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, from the time he was very little, when I, you know, brought him home to the hospital and started taking him out in public and people were asking me if I was his nanny, Like, no, this is my son. Like, we made him the old fashioned way. Uh, We, Steve and I had to to fight the dynamic of, of, um, like outside perspectives and wanting to infuse, uh, a lot of history and culture from both sides of our family into this young man. Mm -hmm. Like I knew that he needed to understand what it would be like to be, um, to to not be accepted because he was darker, and yet I wanted him to stand on the tradition of the sacrifice that my parents made to get me where I am, what my parents did to do their part in in trying to get more civil rights for my community, and the fact that on the other side of his family, he is the great-grandson of an ambassador to Peru. He was the grandson to um, a state representative from Oregon. Like he stands on the foundation of some incredible history and drive on both sides of that family. And I wanted him to own both. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I knew there would be times that he would only be seen as one or the other and he would have to navigate what that was like. Mm -hmm. And it's not always easy for, Mm -hmm. for multiracial children to tease that out.
1: Yeah. Did you find uh, did he ever felt embarrassed by one side or the other side, you know, he, he, was he ever thinking like he didn't want to tell people that his mom was black or that, did that ever happen?
0: And no. I think no. If, to, to know my son Carter is to know that he's a very strong personality who does not mind speaking up. Sometimes a little bit too much. <laughs> <laughs> that's the part of being a young
1: person he you was know, like yes let's do it you know that's good that's i'm so glad i'm so happy
0: to hear that i Are remember there, when we first moved to portland my son um we were trying to figure out where we would live in in the portland area and went to one neighborhood that i wasn't sure of like we were looking at this house we liked the house we weren't sure if we would feel safe in this neighborhood and so my husband and I decided we were going to go to a park that was across the street and kind of just see how we were accepted as a family or if anyone would say anything to us. And this is, what, 25 years ago. I remember my son um, walking over to a slide. And he's five years old, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's getting ready to go up the slide. And there are two white kids at the top of the stairs. And they said, unfortunately, sorry, no niggers allowed on this slide. And I heard this and just like wanted to get angry, cry, like get frustrated. And so before I could say a word, we just noticed our son go up the ladder and he kind of walked past the two little kids and came down the slide and he came over and he said, what did they mean by that? And we had to unpack that to him. It's like they were saying that because of your heritage, because of your skin color, because of your mom, like they didn't want you going down the side and trying to figure out how to say something more impactful to a five-year-old in that moment. He said, he just responded to me. He's like, well, that's stupid. And I'm not going to tell anybody, let anybody tell me what I can and cannot do. And that was kind of the end of that. And that's been kind of the foundation of who Carter is.
1: I'm so proud of the son that you and your husband have raised. Really. I mean, just knowing you, I know what you have put forward. I know what the, you know, through the conversations that we have had together. I know what kind of an amazing human being you are, you know, and to judge somebody or to eliminate that possibility of greatness coming into our lives just by somebody because of the color of the skin just makes me so sad, so enormously sad. I want to confess, and we, we did chat about it before, but I wanted to say something that, as it is a process for me to learn, even though I am a darker skinned person, I'm not a black person. So I sometimes, and I am a second language person, I came from Israel. Sometimes I don't know when I use a word that may be offend- offensive. And I want to bring out a word that that we've that I've used when you were speaking at Toastmasters and you were talking about your story of the triathlon. And it was so incredible, and one of the things that I have said to you, and maybe other people did, I don't know. But I wrote you a note, and I said that was the most eloquent speech I have ever heard. And just about, and that was months ago. And just about a week and a half ago, I have read an article where that word to say to a black person is is offensive. You so
0: articulate?
1: I, yeah, the, the word, word articulate. Yes. And I caught myself when I read this article, I said to myself, huh, a voice." You know, oh my God. I have said that. You know. So so and I've said that many a times to people in the Toastmasters group. So I wanted you to talk about that for a little bit because yeah, and share what you we have discussed before. Because I think I want to do it for other to the audiences, because they may have said that too. So Tell us, teach us, inspire us, direct us.
0: Yeah. So I, I will say this. Um, it's like, Doris, I, when I joined Toastmasters, you did something that was really impactful. It's like you invited me to your home. You kind of told me stories of, of your life, your background. And I found areas in which there were, were areas of commonality in terms of the way that you were treated. That, you know, I'm, I'm not Jewish. I was, did not grow up in Israel, but I, I could connect with that. And you listen to mine, too. So first of all, because you, you weren't born into this historic mess that we've created in our country, it's, I didn't think of it in the same way that I may have for from someone else. That's first of all. Um, secondly, it's like we were in Toastmasters where speeches are critiqued, that we are given feedback. And so every comment that I heard from you based on that speech was on the speech itself. And so when I heard the word articulate, that's what I I thought, okay, good. My first speech actually landed decently in this club. That's the, that's what I thought about when you said it. You were critiquing the speech and, and stating that it was articulate. You weren't saying that I was like, oh, how articulate you are as a black woman. I was not expecting that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And unfortunately, a lot of times when I do hear that word, in conjunction to my speaking, it is because someone is, is saying, I'm, I'm surprised you could speak so well because you are a black woman. Or there's a preconceived notion as to how I will present myself because of the color of my skin. That I find it offensive. Wow. I,
1: I, I'm, I'm so glad that we're talking about this because it's so interesting for me, that word was never associated with the color of a skin. It was associated with the speech itself. You know? I you know, anybody that I see that is like an amazing orator, right? That stands and talks, I don't look, oh, you know, they talk well because they're white or they're not talking well because they're black. I'm just saying you you just spoke in a way that meant and reached my heart, I guess. You know, I guess that was what happened in the Toastmasters. But it, but it, it has been on my mind. So I'm glad that we put that to rest.
0: <laughs> so, I think you bring up a really good point because I think that the part of what happens in our in the communication um, disconnect is this issue of intent versus impact. Um, that often the speaker doesn't their intent isn't to offend. And yet, because of a lot of things they may not understand, historic racism or systems of oppression, it's like the impact is very much offensive. Mm-hmm. So I think that hopefully, as this country teases out its history more, teases out the systems that are in place more, we can understand the impact that sometimes our words have when we're not trying to. It's That's like, cool. we, we need to, I think we really need to yeah. get back to the roots of how this country was founded and how we started a lot of the systems that we have.
1: You know, okay. you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And I wanna say, and I know we're running out of time, but I just, over the last two weeks, I've been thinking a lot about where with the whole black and white and the, and the studies. I mean, I'm talking hundreds of years ago into why in, uh, in psychology of people, why is white, a pure color, a better color, a black is not good. So, because I was just reading this um, studies that ha- they showed dolls, you know, to black children and white children. And they chose, everybody chose the white doll more often than the black doll. The other day I was playing a board game with my kids and my son said to me, because I was talking to him about it, how it bothers me. And he said to me, Ima, look, Ima, which means mom in Hebrew, right? He says, the 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 play, things, parts of the game, there is no black. There is no black part of, of this game. And then I thought, I don't know why, I was thinking of um Star Wars. And I thought, oh, Princess Leah is wearing always you know white. And who is the devil? Who is the bad guy? Black. You know, so I I'm just and I don't know the answer to this. But I'm wondering like where did this whole start, you know, with that black is bad. You know, where does that start? I think it started hundreds of years ago. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think about that?
0: I think there's so much that's built into our national psyche that is just, that seems like the norm that we do need to go back and examine all things all American. Things. And I, when, I've heard a lot of people over the past couple of weeks talk about our constitution stating that all men were created equal. Even when that was written, it was written to white men who owned property, not even all white men. Mm-hmm. We have to go back to the get beginning and learn our history together. And at times, ask forgiveness for those parts in which we've treated people poorly. Yeah. You know, it, there's There's been a lot in the news about black versus white, and I think there needs to be based on what's going on in this country. And yet I hear so little about how wrong it was what was done to the indigenous native americans in this country it's almost like we don't listen or look for a voice there Mm -hmm. like and going back and looking through all of that we need to look at our relationships with a people whose country we stole completely Mm -hmm. people who were brought here against their will it's like all of that needs to be examined so what about
1: what about how we treat the foreigner you know not even black right or Native Americans, but how do we treat that person that doesn't look like us? Maybe from India, maybe from Asia, maybe from, you know, Middle East, whatever that is. We have so much to learn. I really hope that this is the beginning of an incredible change, you know, a change that will yield us a better future for our own children and equality. People should not be judged by the color of their skin or their origin. Yeah. It's, this is
0: America. This is the melting pot. We get everybody. And at the same time that people can be appreciated for the difference in the culture between them. Oh, now, absolutely. That's interesting because that's one of the things that just, drew you to me the first time I met you is, you know, you you can't know Doris Einstein without hearing a Hebrew word and an an exposition as to what that word meant. And every time you do that, I'm like, oh, I want to hear more about that. I just, it just, there's a richness there. That's not a part of my culture that I want to know something about. And I I had that same sense for you that you could respect a different culture and want to know more about it.
1: Absolutely right when I met you, you know, when I met you a long time ago, I thought to myself, I remember saying to myself, you need to be friends with Lisa. She is so awesome. She is so great. And then when I had enough courage to tell you, do you want to be on my executive team? (laughs) And it's like, what role? We started small and now you're a VP for membership. And you know, that to me is, is friendship that took time to build but it builds on honesty, on respect, on appreciation of one another. And I'm not changing you, you're not changing me, but we're learning from one another. We're learning from one another, respecting each other's community, tribe, ethnicity,
0: all of that. Yeah, and Therese, I have to say, it's like one other thing I'm gonna tell you on, on you on this too is that you have a, you're willing to reach out and say, I, I might make a mistake in doing this, but I'm gonna ask you this. Like, you will explain, it's like, here's where I'm coming from, and I don't, I, I'm probably going to, I might make a mistake here, but please hear my heart on it. I think when people take that kind of, that kind of a stance, it's like, we are going to make mistakes, and at times, um, say things that that just don't land well. But when you take the time to build a relationship, when you take the time to share your heart, um, when you take it, the time to care enough to even say, I might, Overstep here, but please let me know because I want to know yeah. That's where the change can start in my humble opinion.
1: Thank you You know, there is a song and I always end it. always I've only done it This is the third one, but it's become always you know when you do something more than twice. It's always <laughs> There's a song from the 1970s uh, Israeli song and it says you and I will change the world mm-hmm. um, and and it's it's saying like this and i'll add that in the podcast and i'll put it on facebook with the link to the actual youtube so you can see and so it goes like this anivata ne shane et ha'olam anivata az yavo kvar kulam amu et ze kodem lefanai ze lo mesane anivata it's you and I will change the world. Um, there were people that came before us, but it doesn't matter. You and I will change the world. And, and it's just beautiful. So I'll send you the link. Thank you, Lisa, for being part of heart to heart conversation. We do speak from heart to heart. I love you very much. I'm sad and sorry for all the sorrow that was embedded upon you that it was inflicted that's the word was inflicted upon you over the last whatever years it's not the last two weeks you know because that pain is a long time and it's you know and now it just comes to light to everybody but but i'm sorry that you had this pain
0: thank you and i i I have to think that god does not god does not let those things go in vain that they can be built upon um i am so hopeful for change in this country it's like this can't continue. So um, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Together we will bring the light, my dear.
0: Yeah. All right.
1: Thank you. Shalom, shalom. Thank you, everybody, for listening in. I hope you enjoyed it.